Welcome to My Name is Not Steve, the podcast by storytellers about storytelling with people not named Steve. Hey, this is Pete Bauer. And I'm Dorothea Bauer. And this is My Name is Not Steve. We are still not named Steve. Nope. We are storytellers that talk about storytelling. Yes, we are. So how are you doing, Dorothea? I'm just dandy. <laughs> dandy? <laughs> yeah. Define dandy. I was going to say just fine, but then dandy rolled off the tongue. Did so, it? Did so it? perfectly, yes. Perfectly dandy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm perfectly dandy. That's awesome. So before we get to our updates, we did a little video shoot recently. We did. So what was that for? Well, we did two, actually. We did one for That Catholic Girl, which is the YouTube vlog series that I run. And then we did one for you, for your author newsletter email. Yeah, yeah. So what was funny about The Catholic Girl is that... The Catholic Girl? That. (laughs) Catholic Girl? Yes. It's really not that difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. And since you came up with the title... (laughs) I don't always remember your name, so and I came up with that as well. No, Actually, that's didn't. not true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, <laughs> so we were shooting some video for your that Catholic girl, and yes. previously you had always shot those by yourself, mm-hmm. usually in uh, your bedroom. Yeah. So we wanted to, by my suggestion, <laughs> try to um, change it up a bit and go outside. So we went to a location with a lot of religious statues and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, we were shooting that. And then what happened? Then you took over. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I think it's adorable. But you used to be a director and yes. you directed a bunch of things. You directed a short called Club God, which is actually very funny. Yeah, and I would recommend people check that out if they can. Yeah, it's free on Vimeo. So. It is? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, check it out. It, it's it's entertaining. Yeah. And you also directed a short series that I was in called Nikki and Babs. All right. And the and, box. And the box, which... Which we won't talk yeah, about. Yeah, we don't need to <laughs> <laughs> reference that. But basically, you've been directing me legitimately not not (laughs) not as a parent not as a parent but legitimately directing me for the majority of my life so you just kind of fell back into old habits yeah because it was it was very entertaining (laughs) i didn't mean to i didn't realize till afterwards i was like man i should shut up this is her show yeah well yeah it was entertaining because when i was i have said entertaining a lot but it was because when i was editing the videos after the fact I noticed all of the directions that you were giving me that I hadn't noticed when you were actually directing. (laughs) Because it was so natural. Because it was so natural. (laughs) And part of the funny thing about that was that when I was editing, I was like, no, that's not what I wanted to say. Like, he directed me in a direction I didn't want to (laughs) go. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Anyway, that was kind of funny. Well, the point is that we increased production value, sort of. Yeah. Very briefly. Because my editing quality for those two videos went down. Yeah. Because of uh, some computer issues that I've I've also been documenting on that Catholic girl because they've been irritating me. And hopefully the next ones will be a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. You know, it's interesting, though, because I was really nervous when I started doing these videos. And I got a little bit more comfortable doing them. I got to a point I was just kind of filming them on my phone and and just talking to the people who were watching and and it became something that was fairly natural. Right. And then you put me completely out of my element in a different location <laughs> with a bunch of requirements. You're welcome. And <laughs> 
and it does uh it it does increase the value i think of how it looks but it was a it was definitely a little nerve-wracking at the end of the day your that catholic girls are video so the video quality actually matters you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so it's also a vlog and not a tv show no i understand that (laughs) but it's a it's video so it's visual and it's, it's first thing is visual. What, you're you know? saying my face isn't visual enough? Oh, it nice, is. Nice, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. So that's what's going on with me. Yeah, that was fun. That was really cool to do it, though. It was like, it was like I don't know, visiting old times kind of thing, because we hadn't really done anything where I directed you, <laughs> even <laughs> like not on purpose, for, gosh, like... Years. Six years or something like that. It's been yeah, a while. It has been a while. So it was funny to me how quickly we just like fell into that sort of role. You know what I mean? Anyway, it was weird. So um, Gabby Wells update. Well, the first thing is that I actually started writing Gods and Martyrs, which is a lot of fun. And, and you'd been procrastinating for quite some time. So this is the thing. <laughs> this is the thing. When you... Right. When you're about to write a story, and I don't know if this is true for everyone else, but when you're going to write a story, you, you kind of know how much work is ahead of you. You know what I mean? And, and it's a lot. And it's, and it's rewarding, but it's challenging. And it's work. And you have to do it every day for you know weeks, maybe months. So I look at that, and I'm like, all right, I know what I have to do. When do I want to start this? It's kind of like, when do you want to get pregnant? Because you have nine months of being pregnant. I'm not saying it's equivalent. <laughs> I'm saying that that's an analogy that you know the work involved and then you birth a child. Well, then you birth a story. So again, I'm not equating it. It's just an analogy. But anyway, <laughs> I know how much work is involved in these things and it's enjoyable but challenging. And so we got Battlefront <laughs> for Christmas and that has been distracting me a little more than I thought. I will say that Battlefront is one of the best video games that I've seen. It does such a great job of incorporating the online community into these teams and the just the entire game is incredible. The yeah. the visual graphics, the the different types of games you can go on different worlds. Oh yeah, the, yeah, right, right. The different worlds, the different types of uh, challenges that you have to overcome like some, one of it's like uh, you know, capture the flag, really. It's like cargo. Another thing is Basically, these pods drop and your team has to, you know, protect it. It's things like that. It's really cool. And the it's graphics well and the world are just amazing. Yeah. It actually made us talk about that. It would be really cool. And this kind of ties into our virtual game and virtual novel thing we talked about before. It'd be great to take that sort of game engine and technology and turn that into a historical tour. Like, it'd be great to go to, I don't know, Ebbets Field in the 30s and watch a game that is actually documented and be able to go to the stands and watch a game play. You know, that would be cool. Or walk New York City or walk Chicago during the Al Capone years or things like that. It would be so cool to take that graphical interface that can create these amazing worlds and actually let you play and walk around and engage in uh, things in the in the historical world. That would be really neat. That would be awesome. I would love that. Yeah. And I'm such a history girl too it would be cool to be able to see all those different places yeah. without actually having to visit them yeah. because <laughs> because sanitation <laughs> was very different yeah. <laughs> yeah you didn't want to be walking below a window that would have been bad Ugh. yeah you never knew what was going to come out of that second or third story <laughs> my best friend and i were talking the other day and we were talking about you know these old paintings you see of these people um some of them royalty some of them peasants and she <laughs> she just looks at them and goes they all smelled. 
That's, that's great. <laughs> that's her first reaction. They all smelled. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There are some games that do that, like the Assassin's Creed, you know, they kind of interplay this Assassin's Creed character with historical worlds. So they had the Revolutionary War, they had the Pirates era, and now they have some sort of like, I think it's the 18 or 1900s British Cockney sort of thing going on, like British crime bosses and things like that. So they're kind of doing that already. But it would be cool to just be able to just go at your leisure kind of thing, just explore a world and maybe have some things to do there. But that would be that would be really fun. So in the Gabby Wells world, as I said, I started to write Gods and Martyrs, and I've been using that thing of using those uh, little cards that I wrote out each chapter synopsis in, and that's actually been very helpful. It doesn't really help you fill the gap, you know, fill the void, but it has been very helpful as far as um, knowing where you have to end up. So you kind of get there quicker, but there's still a lot of like empty space you have to fill out, you know. So that's been fun. And then we, you and I a couple of weeks ago came up with a really cool idea for the next series we that did. I wanted to write. It's exciting. And then we researched it and then we had to change it because... That's what I was... I was it's still exciting. Oh, it is still exciting. Yeah. <laughs> we set that up. It's exciting. But then we changed it. Well, we had And now to. it's about on par with Biology 101. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Well, I also have to clarify, my Biology 101 class was historically awful because the teacher was very monotone and just read off the slides. Oh, that's nice. She was bad for decades. Like, she's known for being a bad teacher. So when I say Biology 101 for Uncle Paul, the scientist listening to this, (laughs) I'm not talking about biology being boring in of itself, but rather Alice Monroe. (laughs) Nice. Calling her out. Yeah. Well, she also gave me a C when I got an A in the class, so I had to go to the dean, which means, you know what, Alice? You get called out. It's on. It's on. (laughs) All right. So I guess since we changed the, the idea, we can tell them what our previous idea was. Right? I guess we can talk about our failed ideas. So here was the thought process, and then we can tell you why it didn't work. So I like to tell stories, and and the slogan that I have is I try to tell compelling stories with eternal consequences. So I like to add a flavor of religion or faith into it because of the eternal consequences of the characters and the dramatic effect on those characters. I mean, it's an awesome dramatic tool to create conflict within the character. So... We always try to try to fit the the world or the characters into that sort of slogan. I have these series of movies that I had written that were never produced that I want to turn into a series of novels, but there was no real connecting thread through them all. And so you and I were trying to figure out how to connect these through them. We came up with ideas like, well, one of the characters could be a private eye or a detective or someone, right, that exists in all of these different stories, but there's no real eternal consequence aspect to that. You know, maybe they all exist in the same town, but then again, how is the eternal consequence piece play into that? So that's kind of where our thought process was. So the original idea was that, you know, priests hear really amazing things in confession. And so we thought, well, what if the very first day of the first confession a new priest ever heard was someone confessing to a murder? And the only way that he could deal with this was to actually write down the story as he understood it. And then immediately burn it. And then immediately burn it, right. He was never going to release it, but it was just the way he emotionally had to process this information. So then we researched this some more and the sacrament of confession. Nothing in the confessional can be taken out of it. And spiritually, as you've talked about on your vlog, you explain why. So I'll link to that. I won't go into that here. But the reality is, is that 
even though our premise would not break that seal of that confession. seal and that veil of confessional, it could be perceived as doing so. So we didn't want to risk going down that path because the at the end of each story, and this is kind of like a paradox because you're reading a story that was burned in the fireplace every yeah. time. But we just thought it was a cool idea. And with independent publishing, you can take these chances. So we thought about that. But then we just decided after we didn't want to risk being misinterpreted or or expressing the Catholic faith incorrectly. Well, yeah, because this article that we read about Catholicism, again, something I feel like I should have known already. Yeah, but we're not priests. We're not going to know everything like that. But the consequences for breaking the seal of confession for priests is is like excommunication. Yeah. It's that serious. Yeah. It's a mortal sin for them, I think, to break yeah. the seal of confession. Because when you think about it, they are not sitting there as priests. They're sitting there in persona Christe. Right. And you have absolutely no right to violate the seal between someone and God. Right, right. Even, so, even for your own purposes of making it emotionally make sense to you. It was it was a really interesting idea, and I think the way that we wanted to tell that story was respectful of our faith, because obviously we're very passionately religious. But I think it's the right choice to not go down that road. Right. So we changed that main character that would be the thread throughout all the stories to someone else that, that fits that. Mm-hmm. More of a Paul character, an Apostle Paul type-ish character in a way. Yeah. His, that kind of story. I think the end result will actually, actually probably be better. But one of the things that I really wanted to do with that story, which I had heard another author do, and I wish I could remember his name, but this is a brilliant idea to me, and I'll have to try to use it in another series maybe if I can figure it out but this one author had a science fiction series where he started out the main character on like a cruiser or something who was a janitor so he got access to a lot of different things I talked about when I worked at Nickelodeon as a runner because I was a nobody and I had to get lunches for everybody I had access to every department it's kind of like being an intern it's the fun part about being an intern is that you get to learn a bunch of different things because people don't really notice you (laughs) right right and so he had this brilliant idea of having a book series with this character who starts out as a janitor and then as each novel progresses and the war progresses and whatever is happening in the science fiction universe progresses, he moves up the food chain higher and higher and higher. And I just love that, that every book, the guy's really in a different role within this universe. And so I was going to use that idea with this priest story about every novel he was moved up in the priestly food chain of he'd be a you know a new priest and then he'd be a seasoned priest and then he'd be a pastor and then a bishop and then a cardinal and then he was going to be potentially the pope. Uh, so that was kind of the idea and I really loved that idea. But again, we didn't want to risk um, making Catholicism look bad inadvertently. So yeah. we changed it up. Because we love our faith. Yep, we do. Just check out your vlog. I know. <laughs> All right. So, ThatCatholicGirl.com. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by... <laughs> <laughs> Anchor Hawking. <laughs> <laughs> A great name and glass. Okay, so... Um, if anyone wants to send me presents for no reason, yeah, I'm a big fan of Anchor Hawking glassware yeah. Yeah. for completely stupid reasons. <laughs> yeah, I think we mentioned this before, but basically... I found these old radio shows. Um, KC Crime Photographer was sponsored by Anchor Hawking, and the it was so like obnoxiously. Their commercials <laughs> are so bad. Again, we talked about it before, but anyway, so we're big fans of Anchor Hawking. They're hilarious. I don't. I have one piece of glassware that's that is Anchor Hawking glassware. So I don't even know if the quality of the glassware is that great, but I'm all for well, it. Well, here's what's funny: is we were at like a flea market <laughs> thing, yeah, and we looked at something, <laughs> and we looked right. at the bottom, and we're like. 
And they're like, oh, it's anchor hockey. And we're like, we're getting it. Well, well <laughs> that was like we, the, that was the deciding factor. But we were debating between two pieces of glassware, right. and one was anchor hockey, and one wasn't. And we're like, oh, anchor hockey. Thank you. It's a great name in glass. <laughs> it wins. <laughs> All right. So one of our listeners, Jonathan, sent a question that an excellent question because you and I come from different points of view in story creation. I'm a we pot. do. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any evidence of that? <laughs> All of our experience together. So I'm usually a plot guy. You're usually a character gal. So he was like, "Well, what's really the difference when you talk about a plot-driven show or a plot-driven movie versus a character-driven show or character-driven movie?" What is the difference between those? Because both of them contain both of them, right? In most cases, yeah. Yeah. So give me some examples of just really high level kind of what's what's generally a good example of character-driven stuff versus plot-driven stuff. So a really good example of character-driven storylines are actually television shows and especially sitcoms. Right. Because in sitcoms, what happens from episode to episode doesn't really have a lot of relevance into the overall story of the show. It's about the characters' lives and how them being put in certain situations affects them. Like, if you look at Friends, the point of Rachel getting a job was not how that job was going to lead to other career growth opportunities. The point of Rachel getting a job was that Ross and Rachel were going to have problems and break up. Right. So that's an example of how plot devices are used to forward character movement. Right. But that is based and focused on character development, not on plot. I think sci-fi shows, especially early on, because you have to establish the world and the conflict within that world, usually start off as plot-driven shows. There's bad guy A or bad universe A or whatever that's attacking you, and so you have to get to some location at some time at some point to save your people or ship or something. So all that's very plot-driven. You have to get, it's like a map, you have to get from A to Z. And then within there, you have characters. But... As the show evolves and once that world is established and the fans kind of get it, it invariably because it's television turns into a character driven show. I think a good rule of thumb when it comes to trying to identify which stories are character driven and which stories are plot driven is identifying the cause of change in the story. Right. If the cause of change is internal, then it's a character driven story. If the cause of change or conflict is external, then it's a plot driven story. Right. right. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. There was a thing of uh, when I was an actor, and this is also obviously true of writing, but when I was an actor, they used to say that whichever character changes the most, that's what the play's about, right? Because that's what all stories are really about, who changes the most. And oftentimes, some writers, especially new writers, will have trouble because they'll create this world and these characters, and the character who actually changes is the secondary character. So then the story really is about the secondary character. And um, it's really important that the person that changes the most, that that character arc, even in a plot-driven story, is the one who changes the most. That's really cool from a writing perspective, too, how those stories kind of go places that you didn't necessarily expect. And even if you did plan it out, you know, that revelation, when it sits with you for a little while, what I'm thinking of in particular is the revelation of Snape's character in the Harry Potter series. There's so much online debate about Snape's character. It's fantastic because some people claim that, but if you haven't read Harry Potter, I mean, you really need to get to it at this point. I I feel no shame in spoiling the story for you, but basically. So it's all your fault. (laughs) It's all your fault. This is a spoiler. This is all your fault. (laughs) Basically. Nice. 
with Harry Potter, the character of Snape, you start off thinking that he's a villain, that he's working for Voldemort, and then you find out that he's actually been trying to help Dumbledore and Harry all along at the end, and he dies trying to help them right. because he was in love with Harry's mother. Now, a lot of people think that that makes Snape a hero. I do not believe that Snape is a hero because, to me, the fact that the only thing that he cares about, he, he displayed no qualities of heroism outside of Lily, which is mm-hmm. Harry's mother. Right. And that, to me, does not define a heroic character. Right, because he had plenty of opportunities, right, to help right. Harry out. So it's this huge debate online. No, he is a hero because he sacrificed all this, but he isn't a hero because of this. And and so it's really interesting how that was originally J.K. Rowling's intention with the story she told Alan Rickman, who played Professor Snape in the movies, this before she even finished writing the stories. This is where Snape's character ends up. Right. And people have interpreted it in a bunch of different ways. That's really interesting. An example of character-driven versus plot-driven in novels. I think if you were to look at Pride and Prejudice, that would be more character-driven. Oh, definitely. And I think if you look at novels like Brad Meltzer's novels or Vince Flynn's novels, they're very much plot-driven. They're, you know, if you have a story, you know, probably James Bond, right? If you have a story about a spy or some sort of, you know, special ops guy. And Brad Meltzer's case, it's actually a historian. But still, <laughs> they go through these these very big stories, right? These little person put into a very big world or this special ops guy put into a very harrowing situation. Those are have to be plot driven um, because the characters, it's kind of like an action movie. I wrote an action movie once for a friend of mine, Jenny. And, you know, it was about 75% action, 25% character, because you only had 120 pages to get stuff done. And most of that was stunts and action sequences or what, and whatnot. So, so you had like 25 pages of quiet time in that story to try to figure out how to express who these people are. And I think that's also, I, I mean, I think the percentages are different. They're more weighted for character and novels, but I think, I think it's similar in that respect. You have to get from A to B or A to Z, you know. And, and you have to fit character growth in there somewhere. <laughs> right, right. And that brings me to the Gabby Wells stuff. So I'm a, as I said, a plot-driven guy. But you can still think about your character even when you're outlining a plot-driven plot. So, you know, you're looking at a blank page and anything can happen. So when I'm looking at what to do, what what situations to put Gabby into, I'm looking at that based on what she as a character needs to go through, right? Or what challenge the external thing that she's facing mirrors the internal challenge that she needs to address, right? So you can, even if you're a plot-driven person, you're not just making a plot up yeah. in, you know, separate from the character and where they need to go. You're taking all of that into consideration. Um, I think character-driven people are looking at emotionally or physically or spiritually, whatever, where they need to be, and then they find plot elements within their world to get them there. So I think that's a, a good definition of, or an example of the difference. For example, we were actually talking about a television show that I watched where uh, it's a superhero show, and one of the characters, she started out really being against this vigilante killing people. She was very much against it. She didn't want to work with him because he was killing people. And then she became desensitized to that as the series went on. So for me as a character person, I remember talking to you about this going, well, you know, she should kill someone in the name of saving the worlds, but she should kill someone because then that will bring her back to no killing is wrong. Right. You know, because she's become so desensitized to that, that it doesn't really impact her anymore. And I think that she needed to get back to that point. They didn't do that on the show, but that's to me that evolved out of character. 
She had lost this part of her character identity. And in order to get it back, she had to do something drastically wrong for that to happen. You know, one of the things I had read, and I'm going to get this wrong, but one of the ways, the, the best way that you can trick your antagonist and make it very satisfying for the reader is, it's the phrase is something like, that when Satan in an act of evil unknowingly does immense good, right? So it's great when you can take an, uh, an antagonist and whatever they're trying to do actually ends up being great for everyone or the protagonist or whatever. Yeah. And if you can do that, that's that's awesome. You know, that's you have to really think that out, though. You have to lead the story, the plot there, and you have to lead the character there. So whatever that act is, that seems when you first you know, read it or watch it to be a bad thing for it to make sense, you know, later on that it's actually a good thing. You know? Yeah. Now, it was funny about it is that so I did this video um, again, I'll link this in the, in the podcast notes, but I did this video for my Facebook page, which I have a Facebook author page now. I'll also link that and also the, the videos on my website as well. But I did this to kind of show I'd get people ask me how I put together chapters and stuff. And this is just the way I do it. But the funny thing I didn't even realize until after I was done was that I did <laughs> all. So, all right. So the, the short the short example is, you know, you start the, the chapter with something interesting and then I are exciting. And then you write down everything that's uh, that needs to kind of happen within that story below that. In the next column, I have every obstacle I can think of to put in the main character's way during that chapter. Then I come up with some sort of resolution to whatever she's facing um, or, or an element of what she's facing. And then at the end, there's a cliffhanger, right? But the funny thing is, is that all of my obstacles were plot devices. They mm-hmm. were plot things. They had nothing to do with character at all. And be, yeah. because, and I, I wish I would have thought of that and expounded on that in the video because the reality is, you know, in that example, it's like, well, one of her obstacles is Gabby has a bad leg, and another obstacle is that she's running away from masked gunmen, right? Those are very external things, mm-hmm. right? You just could have easily have had a chapter where someone wakes up next to their fiance, and so then you write down everything that's supposed to happen in that chapter, and the obstacles are she's in love with another man, and um, she doesn't know how to tell him, and the, the husband just got back from the, or the fiance just got back from the war, or whatever, right? Like all these things. Yeah. Right. I'm just making it up. But the point is, is that you could, those have just could have easily have been obstacles, could have easily have been character driven things, than plot driven things. Yeah. So when we got this request about this show, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a perfect example of how, because I'm, I, I started out in screenplays, how plot driven my brain works. It's, it's all on that. You know, it's kind of funny though, because we've talked about Castle on this show before. Really? We have. When? Uh, yeah, so I think it was episode 1, 2, 3, <laughs> 7, 9, 12, 14, 16. Well, you still watch Castle, and I wow. have since stopped watching Castle. It's it's so odd. Go ahead. I know where you're going, and this is so <laughs> odd. It doesn't make any sense. And it's really funny because I'm the character person, right? Yeah. You're the plot person. Yep. I stopped watching the show because the plot was stupid. <laughs> you still watch the show because you like the characters. <laughs> That makes no sense, right? It doesn't At make all. any sense. Uh, yeah, Castle. It's it's really it needs, funny because you still watch the show. I and have I'm to like, watch it because I love the world they're in. Right. You know what and, I mean? and the and, which is the are. exact opposite because I'm like, no, the storyline is stupid and the show ended already. <laughs> That's so odd. And what's weird too is that you're, 
you have like this compulsion to finish stories, right? I like do. you have to know Which how just they goes to show you how stupid this season of Castle is <laughs> that I have stopped watching it. It's just so odd to me that that you being a plot driven person would ha- could abandon a show mid plot, but it's because it became stupid, right? Yeah. You, you, I guess the thing is, is that your emotional investment in the plot ended. And so you didn't care what happened, which were with NCIS, which we've also mentioned a couple of times. Yeah. That we kind of get frustrated with that show when the plot is stupid because we love the characters. But you keep coming back because eventually they, they create a plot line, which is interesting. NCIS has done a really good job. It's hard. I will admit it's hard for television shows to have consistently good storylines when they've been on for 13 years. Yeah. It's impressive that the show has done that. So I give them credit that even when they've had stupid plot lines, they were able to come back from it. Right. That's that's a hard thing to do. And it's kind of like, I mean, I put up with Doctor Who, which, as I've explained to you, is either brilliant or garbage. There's no middle ground with Doctor Who. <laughs> and yeah, and you're not the only one who feels that. Right? No, that's the general consensus yeah. with with Doctor Who fans. There is no middle ground. <laughs> it's That's so interesting because the world... And it makes sense if you've watched any of Doctor Who, because the world is kind of extreme. It's either going to be stupid or awesome. It's really hard to find middle ground in that world. Yeah. So for me with Castle, it was just, it wasn't worth it. And also, I think part of it, too, is that you were able to put up with the bad character moments in this season of Castle, where I wasn't. Well, I don't know. Because, I, I, I just well, you're still watching it. That. I know. <laughs> This is what I do is I'll watch it for for like 10 minutes and see for that opening segment. I think it's about nine minutes, that Mm -hmm. opening segment. And I watch that and then I see if it's uh, if it's going to be any good. These writers in this season really kind of are awful. But once they stop doing the plots, uh, the character stuff, right, which is completely maybe that's why you don't like it, though. The character stuff, even though the plot is stupid, the characters you don't believe anymore. Maybe that's it. Maybe that is it. Because, because none of it's believable. Well, the, the but when they get rid of that <laughs> and they just go to the crime fighting thing, the stories are actually pretty good because all the actors are really good about doing that stuff. So uh, there have been a uh, mid-season, a couple of episodes that are really, really good. But You know, it's interesting because I've actually been able to follow certain shows based on their promos because promos reveal a lot of information. Like there have been times in the past where my friends in high school wanted me to watch a show and I'm like, I don't need to. They're like, no, it's really good. And I'm like, no, I've seen the promos for this and I can tell you everything that's happening this season. I know. I hate that. And they're like, okay, what's happening? And I'm like, well, this character that looks like this, because I don't know what any of their names are, but this is going on with this and this and this. And another one of the shows that I currently watch, I don't actually like, but I love one of the characters. She's like a feminist hero for me, honestly. That's what it comes down to. So I watch solely because of her. But the thing is, I found a resource online that just posts the scene that she's in. So So. I don't actually have to watch the show anymore. So you still record it, though. I still record it. And then delete it. And then delete it once I've watched the the, the clips that she's in. Because it's like a moral thing for me. It's like, well, is it stealing if it's on my DVR? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. know. So speaking of character-driven stuff Mm -hmm. and predictability, Mm -hmm. which we weren't really talking about, but we're about to. So... We walked in to my wife watching a Hallmark show, right? A Hallmark what? movie. Yeah. Now, here's the funny thing. We've talked about on this podcast about how predictable they are. 
So we walked in and there was this great scene, which if really you just needed to take a still of this scene visually and you understood every Hallmark or Lifetime movie, especially around Christmas, right? So it's this yuppie kind of business savvy, professionally dressed man and woman, obviously together, standing amidst this different sort of antique artwork sort of mix, talking with the gruffy, handsome artist, right? <laughs> so we walk in and we see that scene and we're like, don't tell me. <laughs> don't tell me what's going to happen. The girl is going to find the guy attractive. They'll end up being stuck together. The businessman boyfriend will then do something with capitalism to upset the girl, either sell her business, sell her family's business, whatever. She'll make an emotional connection with the artist slash rough cowboy looking guy, and they'll end up together. And what was my wife's response? Get out. <laughs> <laughs> no, the funny part about that was that you were you were in the room and you're like, oh my gosh, is she going to fall in love with the artist or something like that? You screamed that out. And I'm like, are we watching a Hallmark movie? <laughs> <laughs> so great. Uh, but you know what? It's kind of like romance novels. People like what they like. They do. Know? And they don't mind revisiting it. It's just, you know, those the, those movies, they just change the actors, change the location. But they're exactly the same, you know. Actually, I had a friend of mine who was writing a, a young adult middle school level novel, write me to ask me some advice. And one of the things that I told her, uh, especially when it comes to book covers, which I had learned through my experiences and listening to podcasts and whatnot, is that you want that stuff to look like everything else because people are looking for that comfort zone. They don't want to take a chance on something that they're not going to be comfortable with. So even if internally it it is not exactly the same as the other stuff in that genre, you need to present it as it is because people will take it. They'll take a chance on buying something they're almost guaranteed to know what they're going to get. You know what I mean? And especially nowadays where people don't have to pay for things without trying it out first. Right. That's kind of the economic model that we've set up. You can listen to music online before you buy the CD. You don't have to pay for things in advance. You see movie trailers that practically tell you the whole movie so you know whether or not you're going to enjoy it before you spend 10 or $15 on going to see the film. So when it comes to books, that's really what that marketing does, because there's really no way unless you post the book for free and then expect people to buy it, which is not going to happen. That's really what that kind of marketing does is it says this is similar to what you already like. You're going to enjoy this, even if it is a different kind of story. It'll give people a reason to believe that they'll enjoy it, because I know that I don't want to spend 20 bucks on a book I may not like. Right. I mean, so you're looking at that cover and you're going, is this the character-driven story, romance, that I'm looking for, or the vast plot-driven sci-fi fantasy world that I'm looking to explore? You have to express that because the phrase people judge their book by their covers is absolutely true, especially in an online world where you're just scrolling through thumbnails of pictures, mm -hmm. you know? So anyway, it, it is interesting how we gravitate to that familiar character. People see Michael Bay movies because it's a Michael Bay movie, you know? They know because what they're going to get. <laughs> you want to see people walk away from explosions. <laughs> In slow motion. In slow motion. And never react to them. <laughs> it's great. I wish I could do that. So, Dorothy, I think we did a pretty good job of kind of explaining the difference between, you know, character-driven stories and plot-driven stories. Again, they both have both, you know, they both have character and plot. Just it may be the focus is one or the other. Yep. 
So if you would like to contact us, you can contact us, you can contact me anyway, at pete at petepowerbooks.com. Or if you want to reach out to me about That Catholic Girl, you can contact me at contact.thatcatholicgirl at gmail.com. Wow. That would have been more entertaining if you could see me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of dots in that. I know. Anyway, so um, also please comment in the comments section. Also, please rate us on iTunes. Favorably. Um, well, look, I prefer to be favorably. I just want it to be honest. And honestly, it should be favorable. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are so grateful for the growing audience that we have. The more people I talk to, the more I hear about people who listen to us. And that's just a real blessing. So thank you so much. It's great. I, I'm really excited to say, though, one other thing is that there's a very good chance that I'll be interviewing some really successful authors in the near future. It's pretty exciting. So that's something I really wanted to focus on in this podcast about storytelling. So I'm really excited about that. I hope all that works out. There's um, an author in England that I have to connect with. And then a friend of ours who's insanely successful suddenly is going to stop by and chat with us too, I think. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Hopefully all that works out. Scheduling is always a challenge. So we'll see how that that goes. And then I have some other authors I'm planning to reach out with once I... I want to do these first and kind of see how they go and see how really how I do them and make sure I do them well before I get other people, other authors involved. But I'm really excited about it. I think you guys listening will enjoy it too because it'll give you a different perspective on storytelling and the, the methods and the challenges that those guys face. So it's going to be cool. Yes, it will. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.